There are two readings this morning. The first is a reading from the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapters 1, verses 1 and 5, found on page 807 of the Pew Bibles. Hear these words from the book that we love. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. This is the word of the Lord. The second is a reading from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, found on page 222 of the Pew Bibles. Hear these words from the book that we love. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, It was 19 years ago, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. I was a sophomore in college. And I'm leaving my World Civ class when I notice my youth pastor, Steve, waiting for me outside the door. So, of course, I said, hey, hey, Steve, what's up? And I could see his eyes start to water as he, he says this to me. He says, Evan, your grandfather died. Now, I had gotten calls from my parents while I was in class, but I was a good student. And I didn't text back in class. Remember that? But... At first, truthfully, I thought he was talking about my mom's dad, who was abusive, he was an alcoholic, he abandoned us, and I, was, I didn't really care. I was like, well, hey, thanks for letting me know. And then he said to me, no, Evan, your grandfather, Evan, died. And he told me he was there to take me to the hospital, be with my family. And then I felt it. If you've ever been in this kind of situation, you know what I mean. I felt the deep love that I had for my grandfather, Evan Sr., just well up within me. I felt a weight in my stomach. I felt a ball in my throat. And I immediately put my face in my hands. And tears just started flooding out of my eyes. And I got on the phone immediately and called my girlfriend, Amanda, I couldn't even get the words out, just sobs, and Amanda's like, Evan, what's wrong? Evan, what's wrong? Are you okay? Couldn't even say anything, just weeping, and I finally got the strength, and I blurted out, Grandpa died, and I handed the phone back to Steve, and I said, and he gave Amanda details, and Amanda, who I already knew was a keeper, um, dropped everything and she met me at the hospital and Steve, neither Steve nor Amanda left my side that whole day. Now, I'll never forget the grief of that day. As you can tell, it's still hard for me to talk about. My grandfather is the first person I truly loved that died. And I, but I'll also never forget the love of Steve and Amanda that day. Of course I expected my family to love me. They were there, and my family's really close, almost sometimes too close. Maybe you have a family like that, or maybe you're just a little too close sometimes, and you need a little bit of distance from each other. But I knew Steve and Amanda. I'll never forget that love that they showed me. And to this day, I actually still get coffee with Steve once a month. If you know my story, you know some people at our church, his daughter, Hannah, 
goes to our church. And if you don't know, I married that girl. We gotta lock that down, right? But listen, in times of grief, there is no substitute for the loyal love of another person. The person who weeps with you, you sometimes you just need people who just are gonna sit with you and not say anything. Those people who show their loyal love to you, who mourn with you when you mourn, they show you that love, that love that just stands by you when you need it the most. Loyal love. And when we come to another mother of Jesus today in Ruth, we see an example of that loyal love on display. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David, who in the face of death and grief showed loyal love to her mother-in-law, Naomi. So much so that we still talk about it to this day. And what's really interesting about the whole book of Ruth, you know, we had like every other mother of Jesus were just like a chapter or two. This is a whole book that's dedicated to her. God's barely mentioned in the book of Ruth. But we see his fingerprints all over this story. Ruth is just reflecting the loyal love of God who in his providence uses even death and grief to fulfill his eternal plan for us and our world. God used Ruth to reflect his loyal love to Naomi in her grief. Do you have people like that in your life? Are there people who have been part of your story who are like that? who God was reflecting his love through them. And so we're reminded today that God continues to show us his love even when we can't see it. And isn't that the challenge sometimes in following Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, isn't that the challenge sometimes that you can't see God working? Especially when things get hard, especially when there's grief, especially when there's difficulty. It's just hard to see what God is doing, but the Bible tells us God is still working even when we can't see it. And so I want to talk about three things today. I want to talk about death in the hand of God, grief in the hand of God, and then love in the hand of God. So death, grief, and love. So let's look at death in the hand of God. Let's jump back to Ruth chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, wanting to turn there, or if you can Google Ruth 1, and that should get you in the right place. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. This is verse 1. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So right off the bat, we're told, when does this happen? In the days when the judges ruled. All right, that's the book of Judges. This is when this is happening. Jump down to verse 3. But Elimelech, who's the man who moved, the husband Naomi, died. And she was left with two, her two sons. Bummer, but he still got two sons. So these sons took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Chilion, these are the sons, they died. 
so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. God shows his loyal love to us even in the face of death. I want to show that here. The book of Ruth comes at a a transitional period in the history of Israel. From the book, it comes, it starts during the time of the book of Judges, and it's moving us out of that time. If you know the last verse of Judges, it says two things are true about the people at that time. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's like a choose your own adventure morality, right? I'm going to do whatever I want, whatever I think is good. In our world, we might say, I'm going to choose my truth. I'm going to speak my truth. And I've said this like a thousand times. It's like, there's no your truth and my truth. It's just truth. But that's, what was, that's been going on forever. But it's also in the time where they didn't have a king, it says. So this is a transitional period from judges to kings. And the king's chief responsibility would be to guard Israel against what we might call apostasy. Or just maybe simply we should say against breaking God's law. And we'll see next week what happens when a certain king abandons that chief responsibility. What happens? But the way God would complete this transition would shock the Israelites, would shock them. He uses Ruth, a Moabite, to do it. And we see that simply in Matthew 1, which we read. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, which we heard about last week. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. So you have a foreign woman from an enemy nation. Because at that time, what was happening, Israel was being oppressed by the Moabites. So you have a foreign woman from an enemy nation being used by God to bring about his plan. God's hand is behind everything. God can, listen to me, God can even use the scandalous to do the miraculous through a foreigner, from an enemy nation, God would bring about the Messiah, Jesus. And as we've seen, and we'll we'll see in the rest of the series, the same women who muddy the line of Jesus are the kinds of people Jesus came to save. The people we would be embarrassed to be in our own family are the exact people Jesus came to save. The messy, the sinful, the foreigner, the enemies of God. And as much as that may seem, that may seem to be God's, in God's plan, the first few verses of Ruth make it seem like God had a good run, but it's over now. Like, God is the Eagles in the NFC Championship game against the Buccaneers. You just ran into the Buccaneers. It was rough. You know, Rondé Barber's running back that interception to pick six. And you're like, hey, we had a great run, but it's over. Or maybe, like, God is like the Sixers versus Kawhi, right? He gets that church bounce on the shot, the buzzer beater, just takes the Sixers are packing, right? Good run. We can't get out of the second round of the playoffs now for some reason, And I've committed myself with the Sixers. Like, I'm not going to really get invested until after the second round of the playoffs because I can't do it every year. But good run, Sixers. Way to go. Good job, God. You're, You're like the Flyers in 1997 against one of the best hockey teams of all time, the Detroit Red Wings. The 97 Red Wings, one of the best 
teens of all time. Great run, but it's over now. But listen, death can't even stop God. So as much as it seems like it's God's plan, or like maybe in your own life, you're like, look, it was a great run. I had a great run. Good job, God. Thank you for getting me here, but it's over now. God is still working behind the scenes. His providence is on display. Providence is what Tony Evans calls, says, providence is God's hand in the glove of history. It's God moving history, directing history to his goals, his ends, to fulfill his plan. So John Frame, he's a theologian, he says, if a miracle is God's extraordinary working, so normally we think about God as working when we see miracles. That's his extraordinary working. Providence is his ordinary working. He makes everything happen that does happen, he says. Providence is God's preservation and his governance over everyone and everything as part of the the fulfillment of his eternal plan. You're like, where do we see that in scripture? Well, it's all over. So I have a whole slide with a bunch of examples here where we see God's providence at play. Where, Where do we see his preservation? Where do we see his governance? Well, first, God preserves the world by Jesus holding everything together. It's Colossians 1. God, it's 2 Peter actually says this, that God is actually postponing judgment until all his elect are saved. God preserves us from death and destruction at various points in our earthly lives. That's what we read in Genesis 45, verse 5. And even in death, Psalm 16 says that God continues to preserve us, even in death. Imagine that. Jesus says that not a sparrow dies apart from God's will. And he said, God numbers the hairs on your head in Matthew 10. And then an example of his governance, Ephesians 1, 9 says, through 11 says that God directs nature and history towards his predetermined goals. Providence, God's hand in the glove of history, is God's ordinary work. It's what God does every second of every day. So you might not see it. I might not see it. Naomi might not have seen it. But God's hand is at work even in death. Even the death of your husbands, your husbands and your sons. And I know how like many of us think, as I think this too sometimes. It's like that seems manipulative and very controlling of God. And I just would like to say, well, that all depends how you see God. If you don't see God as loving, of course his providence seems like a bad thing. But if I see God as loving, that he wants what's best for me, he desires what's best for me and for our world, man, his providence is so comforting. It's so good. And which, which God is more comforting to you? A God who lets things happen and is surprised and even he stopped when death happens? Or the God of the Bible who's in control of everything, even death, all a part of his eternal plan? 
So that's how God, that's how death is in the hand of God, with grief in the hand of God. We'll see here in Ruth, Naomi decides, okay, look, my whole family's dead. Everything I live for is all gone. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. Listen, everybody hear that? Naomi's going back to Bethlehem. And Orpah and Ruth follow her. But Naomi tells them, she says, hey, look, just go back home. Go to your mom's. Like, if, hopefully you'll find husbands. I don't have husbands for you. So then pick up in verse 10 of, of chapter 1 again. And pretend I didn't lose my place in my Bible. And I just read it right away. All right, verse 10. And they said to her, no, we'll return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of God has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. As much as you and I might be tempted to, we shouldn't claim to know how God is using our grief unless it's consistent with his character. Naomi, at this point, has experienced a famine She's experienced the death of her husband and the death of her sons. And in her grief, she's, did you hear that? She's convinced herself that God's against her. Now look, grief is messy. It's insanely messy. It's less linear than the language of stages of grief might make us believe. I'm not sure if I, I don't think I have this uh, image, but if you ever saw it, like, it's like a straight line. It says how we think grief works. And then it says how it actually works, and it's just like jumble mess. Oh, here we do have that. All right, so how it actually works? Grief is more like your junk drawer of wires, right? You're like pulling it out, and it's frustrating, it's really tough, it's all tangled up, you have to go through it. It often makes us say things and think things that aren't true. But even though we might be a tangled mess, we have to be careful not to claim to know what God is doing in our grief. It might look like that we got to be careful about how we talk about God in that. Unless it's consistent with Scripture. Otherwise, what happens is we become cynical. So whether you're grieving now or you're going to go through grief, this is important for you to pay attention to. Because later what happens, Naomi is greeted by all the women of Bethlehem. They're like, hey, you're home. Awesome. This is exciting. And then Naomi's cynicism is on full display. Look at verse 20. If you can, just jump down there. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, listen to this cynicism, right? I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? When we grieve, we can be so easily overwhelmed by our grief that we allow it to cloud out who God really is. When you're going through pain, when things aren't going the way you had hoped they would go, it's so easy for, to have your circumstances start to cloud out everything you have heard about God and believe about him. So in our minds and our hearts, 
God becomes a God who's inconsistent with what we read in Scripture. So we blurt out things about God. We might say them out loud or we might say them in private, but they're built on cynicism, not the Bible. So here's examples of, examples of this. God, how could you do this to me? Do you hear Naomi say that? That's what she's saying. How could God do this to me? As if God's a God who's out to get us. That's God's job. He's out to get me. Or because we can't see how God could possibly change the heart of the person who hurt us, we think, God doesn't care about me. Or we look at the empty chair at the dining room table at Christmas, and we know somebody should be there, and we think, God took that person from me. And when we feel that way, what do we do in our, in our grief when we start feeling cynical about God? We avoid him. We don't pray. Can't even talk to you right now, God. You took that person from me. God, how could you do that to me? I'm not talking to you anymore. And then we withdraw. We withdraw from worship. I just can't even go to church anymore. And look, that's, that's when the devil just wants, that's when he'll attack. As soon as you're like, I can't pray, I don't want to be, I don't want to worship and go be around other Christians anymore. He's like, great, that's when I'm ready to get you, when you're isolated and alone. And then what happens is we become more cynical. But if you sit in your cynicism, what's going to happen is, and you don't hear the word of God preached, and you don't have other Christians praying for you, and you're not giving all your pain and grief over to God, what happens is you become more cynical. And you say, I can't see God working, so he must not be. And cynicism unchecked will make your heart cold and bitter. All because we claim to know what God is doing and we process that in a way that's inconsistent with Scripture. Naomi says, God is out to get me. He's distant. He doesn't care about me. How quickly we forget who God actually is. When you feel like God is distant, you need to remember what Naomi's son, son of David, David, said in Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushing spirit. God is just, I'm heartbroken, I'm beat up, God, I'm in my grief. You must, God must not be around. God says, actually, that's what I'm closest to you. But when my heart is broken, we have to remember what scripture says, Psalm 147, three, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. When I feel like God doesn't love me, Psalm 136 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We have to remember our Bibles. If Naomi remembered her Bible, she would have remembered the story of Joseph, who Joseph said to his brothers, you sold, 
who sold him into slavery, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Or she would remember the story of the Exodus, how God heard the cries of his people in Egypt. And Exodus 2.24 says, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. But instead what happens is instead of remembering our Bibles, what we do is we become cynical like Naomi and our hearts become bitter. And so we construct a God who's in our image based on how we feel in the moment. It's a God that's, it's the God in our image about how I feel right now rather than the God we read in the Bible. So let me ask you, where are you allowing your grief and pain to cloud who God really is? Where are you replacing him with a God who's built on how you feel right now? And we do that positively too, right? When things are going well, when you get a new job and you're making more money, God's blessing me right now. We do that too. But particularly in our grief, I feel horrible. God is horrible. I feel bitter. God is the one who makes me bitter. I feel pain. God is the one who causes pain. So where are you constructing this image of God based on how you feel right now? Are you bitter toward that God who's not the God of the Bible? Like, that's not even fair. You're bitter towards somebody who doesn't even exist. Or do you need to remember your Bible? Is your cynicism unchecked? And if these things are, we need to repent of these things and ask God to change our hearts about them. Say, God, you got to take this. I can't do this. I want to withdraw. I don't want to pray. I'm tired of the things I feel like you're doing to me, and I'm stuck. And David even says in Psalms, he says, how long, O Lord? But David always, 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 whenever he complains to God, he always says, God, remember who you are. Please, God. Be this God. Be the God who comforts me. Be the God who's close to the brokenhearted. Be the God who binds up my wounds. And so then we wrap up. We see the love in the hand of God. Look at the end of verse 14. We'll read all the way to 18. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth did what? She clung to her. And she said, Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Go back home. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. Listen to this. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. In our grief, the loyal love of God is still at work. Ruth shows loyal love to Naomi. What does Ruth do? She refuses to go back to her mom. She chooses to live uncomfortably as a foreigner. Think about that. 
This is, think about this. This is a day and age. There's no cell phones. Young people, there's no cell phones. There's no email. You leave your home, you're probably never going to see that person again. You're never going to see your mom again. But she chooses to live uncomfortably as a foreigner with people who probably won't accept her. Wait, this Moabite woman, isn't she from the people who are oppressing us? She risks never marrying. She risks never being sexually fulfilled. She chooses to worship the true God rather than the false ones of her homeland. Listen, Ruth risks everything out of her loyal love for Naomi. And as you read the book of Ruth, Ruth's loyal love made an impression on other people. First to Boaz. In chapter 2, verse 11, Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. He's like, I heard about you. You're the one who showed loyal love to Naomi. You're the one who risked everything. You're the one who even risked dying alone. No family, no husband, no kids for your mother-in-law. Guys, people don't do this. I love my mother-in-law. But I probably wouldn't do that for her. Mom, I love you. Please hear this. And so Boaz... By God's providence, what he does, he redeems Naomi's family line. He marries Ruth. And they welcome a son, Obed, who's the grandfather of King David into the world. And as the book of Ruth concludes, the women of Bethlehem come to Naomi. Check this out in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 4. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Listen. Listen to that. This is Naomi who's bitter, who's told all these false things, narratives about God. She believes in a God who doesn't exist, and they're reminding her who God actually is. He shall be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age. And listen to this. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is worth more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. The women remind Naomi who God really is. Not the God of Naomi's cynicism, but the God who never left her. Who is doing his ordinary work of providence and gifted her a daughter-in-law who showed selfless, loyal love to Naomi better than seven sons could ever have. It's a remarkable turn of events, isn't it? She doesn't see it happening while it's happening, right? But at the end, they point out to her, she's better than even having seven sons. You lost two. It's a net positive of five in one person. Ruth chose to leave everything behind to show loyal love to Naomi. Like I said, the day my grandfather died, I remember Amanda and Steve showing loyal love to me. I still remember those who stood by my side when my mom died in 2012. And I remember all those who walked with me through the hard times of COVID in 2020. God in his providence was showing his loyal love for me through the loyal love of others, even though I couldn't see it at the time. 
And I got bitter, I got angry, I got cynical in all those times by people standing by me, sitting with me, crying with me, reminding me of who Jesus is and who God is. See, the loyal love of a foreigner from an enemy nation is the one God in his providence used to show his loyal love to Naomi. God did it in a way no one saw coming. And in Ruth, this isn't a story about, hey, just be like Ruth. Just be better. If you're reading this and you think you're Ruth, you're reading it wrong. You're Naomi. I'm Naomi. But in Ruth, we get a picture of her son, Jesus, who left everything behind in heaven to show his loyal love for us. And no one saw it coming. God himself came as a child into poverty and was born in a manger who grew up and reflected the loyal love of God to you by dying on the cross for you. We, like Ruth, if there's anything we're like Ruth, we're foreigners to God's people. We're enemies from another nation of sin, death, and the devil. But we were his enemies, the New Testament tells us. But God in his providence sent Jesus to die for us. And when you put your trust in Jesus, we're no longer foreigners, but family. We're no longer enemies, but friends of God. Look, Christmas season is a beautiful reminder of this. It's also a beautiful reminder of the blessing of baked goods. <laughs> and at our house, we watch the great British baking show. Every Christmas, I don't subscribe to Netflix all year round. We can talk about that later. I only subscribe during Christmas because I want to take advantage of the Christmas content. I don't want all the other content. But when you bake, you take a bunch of things that seem random on their own. And if I was on the show and you gave me those ingredients and put them in my hand, they'd be a mess. But in the hands of an expert baker, you get things that are so beautiful. They're magnificent works of art. They probably shouldn't even be eaten. They should be in a museum somewhere. And this is how providence works. In your hands, in my hands, this looks like a bunch of random stuff that's happening to us and we're doing. But God, in his providence, he takes a bunch of things even death and grief, or even a foreigner from an enemy nation that in your or my hands would be an absolute mess. But in the hands of the expert baker who has the recipe, and out of his loyal love for you, he's taking your grief and pain, and he's making it into something beautiful, a magnificent work of art. And one day, Lord willing, you'll be one of the saints of old that people talk about. But you should be in a because you're a story of God's work and his providence in your life. And when we come to terms with that, knowing that God has shown his loyal love to us in Jesus, we need to turn around and show that to others. Where do you need to do a better job of that? Is there somebody in your life you need to show more loyal love to? Where in your life is God asking you to leave everything behind, take a risk 
to show someone else his love. That may be a family member, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker. And as I said, we also need to repent of constructing gods that look like how we feel in the moment rather than the God of the Bible. We're praying and speaking of and worshiping a God that we've made up, not the God of the Bible. So we repent of that. And we also need to remind ourselves that following Jesus, and this is really important too, listen to me, look at me. Following Jesus doesn't mean that you're exempt from death and grief. Ruth and Jesus show us that. But we, because we're followers of Jesus, we can experience the loyal love of God in death and in grief. See the difference? You're not exempt from it. I'm not exempt from it, but we can experience it in it. So look, God is working. Even if you can't see it, even if it's hard, it's all jumbled mess, and it's all tangled like you're in that grief wire thing going on, junk drawer wires. Death might be difficult, and it is difficult. Death, grief may be cloudy and messy, and it is. But let's take comfort knowing that God's still working behind the scenes to show his loyal love for you. So let's pray.